0: My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us online this morning. If you got your Bibles, uh, grab your Bible and open up to Mark chapter 8. That's where we'll be this morning. we made it to Mark chapter 8. That's a good thing. So uh, I'm going to read uh, Mark chapter 8 for us here in just a second. Um, I do want us to take a moment and think about uh, the question that we ask each week. So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So you have any responses to that, go ahead and uh, type those in the comments. I just want to say uh, hello and good morning to everybody this morning. So the Barbers, the Arnold's, uh, the Coles, the Johnsons, the Millers, uh, Sabrina, hey Sabrina, uh, the Velosons, Brian Willard, hey, good morning Brian. Uh, looks like the Landers and the Englishes, fantastic. It's good to have you guys this morning. So thanks for being here this morning. And uh, if you have any answers to this question, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far, uh, today for me is a um, a bit of a a lesson that I have I have learned and forgotten and learned and forgotten and learned and forgotten. And uh, unfortunately, it's one that I would imagine most of us probably have, and uh, one in which Jesus is incredibly patient to continue, to continue, to continue, to continue. And we'll, we'll talk about uh, that concept as we go through today's lesson, and we'll also talk about what that means for us um, and how that uh, we can respond accordingly. So, Uh, Good morning to the Johns and to the uh, Janikas, so good to have you all with us. So grab your Bible if you would, and we will uh, read through Mark chapter 8, and we'll talk about a few of those verses. Now today's handout might be good for today, it might also be good for next week, we'll see, I don't know, depends on how many questions you ask. Mark chapter 8. How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Have you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened?' Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on again with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. All right, if you hadn't already got your handout, uh, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com and click on the Read button at the top and get today's handout, or you can just look at the link that uh, Julie posted a couple of minutes ago. Um, I would encourage you to grab your, copy your ESV, and we'll start with uh, Mark 1. So Becky is listening from the hallway of the Chattanooga campus. Well, kudos to whoever's got the Wi-Fi working well there. So, good job on that. I think I'm looking at Dave Barber on that one. So, and hello to the Archers this morning. So, good to have you guys with us. Uh, so, Mark chapter eight is where we're going to start today in verse one. Um, so, in, in my in my notes here on the, are there any literary or structural observations? I have written uh, Jesus feeds thousands of people. Again. <laughs> So if if this lesson feels like deja vu, uh, it's because we covered something very similar back in Mark chapter 6. And we'll talk a little bit about today why uh, why we did this again, why Jesus does this again, um, what he's trying to do, how he does it, the way in which he does it, all those sorts of things. So we'll start with uh, verse 1 here. So in those days, when again, so this is, uh, Mark is specifically drawing attention to, uh, to this, that we are doing this again uh, by using this word uh, palin, anew, when again, a great crowd had gathered, there's a present active participle, so this is, they, they are, they're gathering and gathering and gathering and gathering, so it wasn't all at once, this took a, a minute to actually occur. When a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, and this, this word for had is, they hadn't had anything to eat for a while. So you, you kind of get a sense from the, the parsing of the verb that it's been a minute. And then uh, he, he, uh, Mark explains it for us here in just a second as, as to how long. So they had gathered and they had uh, nothing to eat. Uh, he calls his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. So I want to. So, so we know, we've already read ahead, that they've been with him for three days. And uh, if you're going to go into the middle of nowhere, because we believe that he's kind of in the middle of nowhere, right? He's in the Decapolis and uh, it's this 10 city region, but there's lots of space in between these cities. We'll look at a map toward the end of the lesson. Um, So why would you, why would you go out into the middle of nowhere and not bring enough food? So a couple of plausible answers. Uh, One, you might not have thought you're going to be there that long, right? Um two, you might have heard about what happened in Mark chapter six, and just assume Jesus has got the food covered. Right? We're in good shape. we he's done this before, you will do it again. You know, I think we've even seen songs like to that effect. Um so just keep in your mind, like why would they have, have done that? So he calls his disciples to him and he says to them, now remember this is talking to the disciples, directly to the disciples, I have compassion. And this word compassion is used Uh, several other times in Mark's gospel, uh, the first in Mark 1.41. So flip over to Mark 1.41. I just want to show you how this word is used in Mark. So this is uh, when Jesus cleanses a leper. Uh, Back in Mark chapter 1, a leper comes to him, imploring him, kneeling, uh, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And verse 41, moved with pity is how the ESV translates it. So it's this idea of I see someone with a need, and I am... I am moved internally. There is something emotionally that is stirred up. Uh, I see some issue, something that needs to be rectified. Uh, and he had the ability to fix it, right? So this is a, one of the amazing things about Jesus is that um, he always had the ability to resolve any issue that was in front of him. And then we see in Mark six thirty four. Um, so we see this exact same pattern. We'll flip back to Mark chapter 6 several times today. Uh, just to see how this works. But verse 34, when he went ashore, and he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And in Mark 6, 34, it was a one-day thing, right? So he he gets off the boat, he starts teaching them, it gets late, and he realizes that they're hungry. So they've been with him less than a full day, less than a 24-hour period, and he feeds them. And in Mark chapter 8, they've been with him three days, right? So how much... How much more compassion would you have had welling up that you know people are getting hungry here? This is a lot of people, um, so he has compassion on the crowd uh, because. So there's a reason, right? He has compassion because they have been with me many, uh, been with me now three days, and have nothing to eat. So if you, uh, uh, when we were going through uh, Mark's Gospel in uh, on Wednesday nights at the Saudi Daisy campus. Uh, Several months ago, Marty Lassley actually drew the straw to teach this particular text. And if you've ever heard Marty Lassley teach before, he's just a um, think about almost unfettered ADHD, Jesus loving full throttle the entire way. Um, I, I envision this is how Barry Cole would teach if Vicky didn't exist, right? Just this. Um, sorry about my Julie Spitter coffee out there. <laughs> um, you guys don't get to see what I get to see, so. I feel like I have to have running commentary sometimes. But uh, Marty lastly asked the question, you know, what were they doing for three days? And he had a really neat answer. Sermon palooza, right? Because Jesus was just teaching. He was very likely teaching and teaching and teaching, very possibly healing as well. Doing what he had been doing, answering and asking questions, engaging the crowd. Um, if there had been no engagement on Jesus' part, it's very unlikely that the crowd would have stuck around at all. Certainly not if they were hungry. So they've been with him now for three days. They have nothing to eat in verse three. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint. So if I send that word send is a subjunctive. So I don't want to get too uh, abstract here for just a second, but Jesus saw a possible future where if he sends them away, they don't make it home, right? They faint on the way home and fainting on the way home is not a good thing. Um, so, so, they send them away they're home, they will faint. And this faint, this, this parsing this faint is a future passive indicative. Like this is a, a fact that would happen if he did this. So he's got compassion on them. He sees what their future might be and he chooses to intervene. So, and when some of them have come from far away. So some of these folks have traveled from a great distance. They heard Jesus was there and away they come. And it's it very possible that they could have been gathering and gathering and gathering and gathering over this three-day period, that they didn't start with 4,000 people, that it ramped up uh, to 4,000 plus uh, once they kind of got to the end of this three-day period. So verse 4, and his disciples answered him. So remember, he's just talking to his disciples. He's asked the disciples a question. His disciples answer him uh, with a question. So perhaps they're learning something here, right? So this is this is good. So how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And this is the point in the text where I just want to uh, mock the disciples. I want to get angry with them. I want to get frustrated with them because it's been literally two chapters since Jesus did this very thing. Right? And they ask him, how can one? And I've highlighted this word one um, How can anyone or how can anything do this? How can anybody feed these people? So if you go back to 642, that's the exact same word for feed that is used back there. So let's look at this for just a second. So in 642, here's the... um, And they all ate and were satisfied. So the question is really, how can anybody satisfy these people? How can anybody fill them? And they've already seen him do this. And either they've forgotten or they've just lost hope. They've lost faith in him. So a lot of possible answers here. But look at 727. Uh, Barry is a good teacher. Yes, Chris, I agree. Uh, 720, I have learned much from him. Uh, So 727, and he said to her, this is the Syrophoenician woman, uh, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The word fed there is the word for to feed here, to supply. And then we'll see this word one more time in Mark chapter 8, verse 8, demonstrating exactly what Jesus did. One man did this. So how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? So verse 5, and he asked them, so again, back to the disciples with a question. So this question, 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 this back and forth question. This is the the, the rabbi, uh, rabbinical way of asking questions. So how many loaves do you have? Super simple question, right? So we're going to get, so if you've ever done any teaching and you ask a bit of an abstract question, and your audience doesn't get it, one of the uh, pedagogical approaches is to simplify the question and uh, start with a, a much more factor-based yes-no type of a thing, and then build up from there back into the more complex point that you're actually trying to make. So Jesus backs down, so how many loaves do you have? And they said seven, which kind of makes sense, right? if you've been out in the middle of nowhere for three days, you wouldn't anticipate there being a large amount of food. You would anticipate the food pretty much being gone. Now, I've got all kinds of questions about who had the seven loaves, right? And did they know they had it? Did they not know they had it? Did they forget about it? Like what, all kinds of questions around this. And really, quite frankly, none of that's important. The fact is, he has a very small amount of food that he is working with. So he directs verse 6. He directed uh, 6 eight, Mark 6-8 is the other time that this word shows up. And if you look back to Mark 6-8, you will see that, uh, and I love when this happens, when, and Mark does this quite a bit in his gospel. He will, he will use a word and associate it with something early on in his gospel, and he'll use it one or two more times later on, and we'll see how this kind of gets fleshed out just a little bit. So in Mark uh, 6, verses uh, 7 through uh, 11, yeah, uh, he gives the disciples directions on what to do when they go take uh, his message and proclaim it. So uh, these are part of the directions that he is giving them. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. So he charged them. So this is a direction. This is a that I'm giving you explicit directions on how to go and carry something out. And one of the things he tells them not to take is bread. And I I don't think it's an accident that he tells them not to take bread. And then later in chapter 6, he shows them that he is their source of supply. And then later in chapter 8, he shows them that he is their source of supply. like He is grounding them in this idea that their sustenance comes from him. And one of the ways that you can help somebody understand this is to remove someone's ability to depend on anything else. So he tells them back in 6, he said 6, uh, uh, 8, and 9, and 10, he says, uh, just take a staff, so no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals and don't wear two tunics. Right? I mean, this is, we're getting really, really basic at this point. So back in 8, 6 here, Mark 8, 6, and he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. So everybody sit down. And if you remember back to chapter 6, exact same kind of a concept that happened back in chapter 6. So he took the seven loaves and having given thanks. this is a, That's a beautiful word here. And if you, if you come from a different faith background uh, other than uh, a, a Baptist denomination, you actually might be very familiar with this particular word. Eucharisteo. Uh, to where we get our English word. It's not really an English word. It's kind of a transliterated word. The Eucharist. Um, And one of the reasons we get the word Eucharist, you might know this as a substitutionary name for the Lord's Supper or the communion or the Lord's table, uh, is Mark 14.23. So flip over to Mark 14.23. I'll show you where this word shows up. Shouldn't be a shocker for you. 14.23. The header in the ESV says the institution of the Lord's Supper. Ta-da, right? So as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. This word for thanks is uh, Eucharisteo. Um, and this is the idea that uh, I am grateful, I am expressing gratitude for this particular thing. Now, w- when we get here in year and a half, two years, whenever we get there, to Mark chapter 14. There is an exceedingly loaded amount of information that Jesus is communicating right here, because this is part of the Jewish Passover Seder. This is part of one of the four cups of wine that are drunk. This is an incredible amount of theological and historical information that is all being boiled down, and Jesus is redirecting that toward himself, and he is saying, I am thankful that I get to go and redeem you. There's a tremendous amount of things that are going on here. But back in Mark chapter 8, this is the same word, and having given thanks. So Jesus does this several times throughout his ministry. He gives thanks. He broke. Now, the, the broke is in the aorist tense. That's the A-O-R-I-S-T word that's highlighted there. He broke this, and this word also shows up in uh, Mark 14, 22. This is where he took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. So same, there's, there's a lot of parallels between what Jesus is doing in six and what he is doing, I'm sorry, what he's doing in six and eight and what he does in 14. Uh, and when I say those numbers, I'm talking about the chapter numbers from Mark. So he broke and gave it to them, uh, to his disciples. Now, he, the broke is aorist, which doesn't imply any type of repetition. So it, it, I want you to picture it for me just a second. And I don't. I don't want to try to get to uh, try to explain too much that the text doesn't get into. But I think the text lends itself toward just a little bit of explanation here. So he, he breaks this, right? And it just implies that he breaks it once. But the giving is imperfect, which means this is continual action repeated in the past. So he breaks it and he gives. And he gives. And he gives. And he gives. And if you have ever served people you know that you can actually get tired if you serve a lot of people. And the size of this crowd, this would have taken a couple of minutes, right? It might have actually taken a couple of hours. I don't know how long does it would take to individually pass out thousands of loaves of bread. I mean, this is a lot of food that we're talking about here. So he broke, we think, once, and he gave repeatedly to his disciples. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus doesn't give it directly to the crowd, Because Jesus is training disciples. He is modeling himself what he later will command his disciples to go and to do, to make disciples. See, we look at the Great Commission as something that Jesus said for us to go do. The Great Commission is something that Jesus modeled for us in the way in which he trained his disciples. And getting people physically, tactically involved in ministry is a great way to help people learn. Now, did they learn this lesson the first time you did it? Nope. So what do you do when you're teaching somebody and they don't learn the lesson the first time? You teach them again. What if they don't get it the second time? Teach them again. Well, what about the third time? Well, do you know any children? You You keep teaching and you keep teaching and you keep teaching and you keep teaching. And it shouldn't surprise us at all that this is the way. So he broke, he gave to his disciples uh, in order to, there's a purpose here, to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. So don't miss their act of obedience here. This is obedience in the midst of what I would consider just a little bit of doubt. Because they just doubted Jesus, not three verses before, saying, how can one do this? but they're participating in his work. And Jesus doesn't scold them here. He doesn't take the time in front of the crowd to berate the disciples. He just gets them involved in the work. Because sometimes you just need to be gotten involved in the work. So he sets them before the crowd. Uh, Disciples do in verse (laughs) 7. He sets them before the crowd in verse 7, and they had a few small fish. Um. And if you, again, I'll ask the same question. If you think about you've been out in the middle of nowhere for three days, you wouldn't expect, you know what, guys? I've got like, got like six baskets of really ready to go fish over here. It's good. No, no, no. no. You're going to have small fish. Uh, you could translate this word, uh, scraps, um, almost like a sardine size. It's the, there's a, there's a Greek word for few. So few in number. And then this small fish is, is like petty. It's just, I get, I don't, I don't go fish anymore. I don't, am not a huge fishing fan. The first time I went fishing, very first time, I went with my dad and I had a, um, I, I believe it was a Mickey Mouse fishing pole. It was one of those that you go to Walmart and you get, and it's brandy. It's like, yay, this is going to be fun. And, and the pole, you know, it's, these are little kid poles, right? These are little kitty poles. So we go to the stocked catfish pond on my grandfather's property. Uh, and uh, when I say stocked, I mean, uh, my dad or my grandfather would feed them regularly and, uh, would walk up to the edge and uh, throw in feed and they would like come to the, sh- and it was, these were almost pets, right? And this thing was just chock full of catfish. So my dad's philosophy on uh, catfishing was that you, you wanted to ensure that you were going to be successful. Uh, and the best catfish bait that I ever found was, uh, we would go to the store on like a Wednesday and buy chicken livers. And we'd go out back behind the house and we'd bury the chicken livers and we'd dig them up on Saturday morning because they would have like gotten, as my dad would say, right? I don't know. They did not smell good. It was awful. But this was the most appealing thing for the cat I mean, They would just about jump out of the pond onto the shore to eat the chicken livers. So we'd get the hook, put the chicken liver on the hook, throw it in the water, you're gonna catch a fish. Right. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is uh, Corleone style. You don't even need the Hail Mary when you throw the line in the water, right? You throw it in, you're going to catch a fish. Well, the first fish that comes out is this massive catfish. My, my dad joked for a long time that the actual fish was almost bigger than the pole. I mean, it's this massive, massive fish. And I was like, this is easy. Right? I mean, this is incredibly easy. I mean, everybody ought to go fishing is like crazy easy. Then I went fishing later on in a uh, stream where nobody had stopped with the wrong kind of bait and caught nothing. It was like, well, this is really hard, right? Well, this is; these are petty fish. These are just very, very small scraps of fish. That's all that's left here. And having blessed them, and don't miss this, uh, eulogyo. This is uh, this idea of speaking well of or blessing. This is where we get our English word eulogy, it's the, the speech that someone gives at someone's funeral where you don't bring up the bad stuff. You bring up good things, right? This is almost like a positive spin on things. But Jesus blessed. He gave thanks for these scraps. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. He gave thanks for the very small leftovers, the the little fish, the ones that you might have actually thrown back if you were going to go fishing. We wouldn't keep that. He gave thanks and he blessed them. And Jesus does several blessings in Mark's gospel. The first, or one, probably one of my favorites is in Mark 10, uh, 16. Mark 10, 16. This is where he let the little children come to him. And in verse 16, he took them in his arms and bless them, laying his hands on them. I mean, what, a, what a beautiful gesture, what a beautiful gift to bless these little children. And then in Mark 14 22, again, back to 22, as they were eating, he took the bread and after blessing it. So again, you see all these words that show up in Mark 8 tying to this future idea that's going to happen in Mark 14 about this Lord's Supper. So he blessed them. He said that these also should be set before them. So in verse 8, and they ate and were satisfied. So let's talk about this for just a second. They were satisfied. The satisfied is a passive indicative. So passive means it happened to you. They didn't do it on their own. So it happened to them. And indicative is a statement of fact. Because their provision, their satisfaction, And their filling all were provided for them from scraps offered to Jesus. And if you don't think that there's a lot to soak on right there, just meditate on that concept a bit this week that our scraps, when offered to Him, can be things that He can use. We might look at the sardine or the scrap of fish and go, you know, we just, just throw that away. I don't know how you do leftovers at your house. Uh, we didn't do a lot of leftovers before the uh, quarantine began. We do a lot of leftovers <laughs> now. Uh, but it, I've never been a huge fan of... Le- I just ate it yesterday. I don't want to eat it in today, right? It's like, ah, okay. But scraps in Jesus' hands, something totally different. So they were satisfied. And if you think... Back to this word satisfied, this is the same word that the, that the uh, disciples challenged Jesus. Can anyone satisfy? Can anyone feed? Can anyone fill these people up? Same word. So I love how Mark circles back and says, puts an exclamation point on it and says, absolutely, he did. He did exactly what they challenged that he could not do. And they took, because there's always an and, right? Mark is the king of the and. Uh, And they took up the broken pieces left over. So there was, in the first definition of this word, is a surplus. So they went from scraps to surplus through Jesus' hands. Seven baskets full. And these are not small baskets. These would have been large baskets. Uh, verse 9, and there were about 4,000 people. I love how Mark just buries the important details to the end because you kind of could have got the idea that there was always 50, 60 people and they just maybe all got a nibble in his spine. Or- no, 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 4,000 people. Thousands and thousands of people that he fed here. And he sent them away. Now, do you remember back at the beginning of this passage, Jesus was concerned about one possible future where he sends them away and they faint on the way home because some of them had traveled a long distance. So he still sends them away because that's what Jesus does. He is going to send people who have been impacted by him. He sends them away, but he sends them away full. And this is what he does, right? He takes our emptiness and fills it and then sends us on mission so that we can accomplish something for him and that we can understand that we didn't do it out of our strength. Because those people, when they were walking home, they were walking home under the strength and the satisfaction and the filling of Jesus Christ. It's powerful stuff. And then verse 10, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples. He's done, right? We have taught this lesson again. It is time to move on to the next thing. Got in the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Went to the district of Dalmanutha. So I want to show you something here for just a second. If you look at uh, the screen for just a moment, Uh, I want you to see the star on the right side that is uh, in the center of the Decapolis. This is where kind of Jesus had this happen. So he he heads back over toward the Sea of Galilee. And uh, if you look really close, you can try to find the word Dalmanutha on this map. So I'll give you a second to try to find the word Dalmanutha on this map. Uh, Well done. It's not there. right? We're not sure where Dalmanutha is. Uh, in some uh, other manuscripts, uh, the word uh, Magadan or Magdala uh, is there. And you can actually see uh, Magdala on the map. It's on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. So again, this is the geography. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it even gets the geography right. Because right? we're on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So he goes, uh, he gets in the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanoth. So they travel across. And they go to uh, Dalmanutha, which might be Magdala. It might not be Magdala. It's on the other side. That's kind of where we are. So we'll pick up uh, next week with verse 11. But I do want to cover a couple uh, applications and personalizations. So application number one, exact same thing from Mark chapter 6. I would say Jesus provides. Right. So let's not miss the big obvious point here. Jesus provides. Um, So what do we do with that? Well, we should trust him. So if Jesus provides on the application, the personalization for us is to trust him. Uh, Application number two is how a lesson is taught matters. So it wasn't time to really scold them yet. The disciples are still learning. He's going to get to scolding. Don't worry. He's going to get to really pointed questioning. You heard it when we read through Mark chapter eight, but it's not time for that yet. Because we've got to get a couple repetitions of, do you understand this? I have modeled this for you. I have engaged you in this process a couple of times. Do you understand it yet? So what do we do with that? Uh, Number two, personalize. Study how to teach. A a lot of us just kind of start talking. And we haven't given any thought to how to answer. Um, And then study how he taught. Uh, One of the interesting things that you can pick up from Jesus is, He is the master communicator, the master teacher. And stopping to think through the approach that he used, given the situation and the space where they were in their theological development, specifically talking about the disciples, is worthwhile. This is something that is uh, absolutely worthwhile thinking through. So applications number three, uh, some lessons require more than one teaching, right? So just like when you were little, it took you more than one application of, well, here's how you hold the spoon, and here's how you get the food successfully into your mouth. Right? That doesn't go well the first 50 times. right? But eventually, you get the hang of it, and, uh, and patience is required here. So what do, we, what do we do with that? Number three, patiently submit to his wise and holy will. Patiently submit to his wise and holy will. Uh, Jesus knows what he's doing. And this is an incredibly comforting thought because one of the things that we find about our current and historical leaders all the way back to Adam is that the closer you scrutinize, the more problems you see. This is one of the things that if you ever read a really good biography, you'll know that a good biographer will cover both the positive sides of someone's life and the negative sides of someone's life. And the thing I love about studying Jesus' life is that the closer you look, the better he is. The more perfection, the more holy, the more flawless he becomes. He is worthy of our study, and he is worthy of our submission to him. And then application number four, Jesus is committed to making us like him. He is going to do it. Jesus is committed to making us like him. He will finish his work. He does not leave things half-heartedly done. So what do we do with that? I would say that we praise him. We say thank you, Jesus, for not leaving us with scraps, but using us to fulfill your work and your ministry. So next week, uh, we'll start with, uh, Lord willing, Mark chapter 8, verse 11, and we'll go until we're finished. So you see your homework there at the bottom of 245. Uh, I would encourage you... Uh, to make sure that if you have not uh, subscribed to the things that you can subscribe to at OurSundaySchool.com, please do so. Um, If you'd like to become a member of Our Sunday School, you can click on the About Us tab and uh, follow the directions there. And then last but not least, I would encourage you to, as Margie has already done, uh, write in the comments any prayer requests that you might have. uh, Lean in, engage, and pray for somebody that's not with you. And then uh, go to the Stewart Heights Facebook, YouTube, or website, because we've got three different ways you can watch this, uh, at 10 o'clock, and you can watch the uh, Soddy Daisy service that is going to be streamed. And uh, excited to be able to participate in that. I've been told that Hickson in the next few months uh, will be able to be streamed, but not yet. So we'll hang tight on that. So uh, it's good to uh, be able to be with you as much as we can this way. Please reach out. Ask any questions if you have any. Uh, would love to engage with you, and until... I see you again, God bless you and uh, give him your all. Love you guys. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at our sundayschool.com.